Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 515, The Tyranny of Stuff. What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Did Jesus call us to a life of poverty? And how can we finally put worry and anxiety behind us? Prepare yourself, because this week Jesus is all up in our business in the second half of Matthew chapter 6. Hello, everyone. It's good to be with you again today. Um, We're carrying on with our series on Matthew's Gospel. This is actually part 15, so we've been at this for a while. Uh, Some of you may be watching on uh, Facebook for the first time. Um, I think there'll be a link there that if you want to catch the earlier episodes, you can. (coughs) Excuse me. So, I just want to review today... As Jesus continues to challenge his listeners and challenge us, uh, from the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount section of this uh, of this series, we talked about some different interpretations uh, of the sermon. One is there are those who said it's just not practical. This is idealism. Uh, another interpretation is that that the sermon doesn't describe life here and now. It's, it's our future life in heaven. Uh, a third interpretation is that it's impossible and it's meant to be impossible because it pushes us to simply realize our, uh, that we are not capable, that we would say, I can't do this. But I hope that we're seeing, as we go through this carefully week by week, that the Sermon on the Mount is is completely practical, that uh, it reveals our true identity as Jesus sees us, that is, uh, as his disciples. We go back to earlier, he, he didn't say you need to be salt and light, he said you are salt and light. He says this is who you are if you will choose to believe and to follow my way. So, so the sermon is filled with challenge and invitation, which, by the way, I think are two vital components to all discipleship. So now let's move into today's section. You know, chapter 5 was primarily about, about love, um, about our inner motivations, about being change agents to bring love to our world. It was about uh, loving responses in challenging situations. Remember, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. It was about loving our neighbors. Now we're on our second week in chapter six, and and five was primarily about love. Six is primarily about faith. Uh, we've seen the necessity of of personal faith, uh, faith that is turned to the Lord and not to the attention of others. We talked about that quite a bit last week. But now in the second half of this chapter, Jesus really challenges us to choose lives of faith and lives of deep trust. And in the midst of what we're going to look at today, he goes straight after one of the biggest issues in all of our lives, uh, and that's our money and our possessions. So, you know, we're very sensitive about that issue. I, I was aware of that in my, my decades of pastoring. I'm aware of that in, in interpersonal relationships. Um, we, 
we don't like if somebody touches that issue in our life and we're reluctant, almost shy to touch it in other people's lives, this issue of our money and beyond that really our stuff. Uh, Martin Luther famously said that the the last thing uh, to be converted in a man's life is his wallet. Um, Martin Luther, too, was a realist. So at the heart of what we're going to cover today is, is Jesus' message, live simply. He, he, he's showing us that, that possessions have a, a, like a mysterious magnetic pull that, that lead us to idolatry. His message is, is trust God. Now, he uses three images to teach the disciples and us that, that we must disentangle ourselves from our possessions. And those three images are treasures, uh, a single-focused eye, and serving two masters. In the Beatitudes, the beginning of the sermon, uh, Jesus identified or defined righteousness in spiritual terms. Um, then, then um, in in the six theses, remember he said, "You have heard it said, but I say unto you." Um, here he's defining righteousness socially, how we relate to one another. But now he defines righteousness economically. So let's look at it, starting at verse nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus is referring to the accumulation of things as a as a focus uh, for a sense of satisfaction or identity. Really, a better translation might be stop storing up for yourself treasures. Accumulating treasures uh, leads to the opposite of security. It leads to anxiety because gathering riches, gathering stuff, uh, brings us into war with decay. That's why he said moth and rust destroy because it's it things get old you know advertising understands this it constantly pushes and lies to us that moth and rust doesn't destroy in this sense that there's real value in it and you'll feel better and you'll feel happier um you know the very day that i purchase the latest thing Maybe it's that car I really wanted. Maybe, maybe it's a new stereo system. Maybe it's a new TV. Um, the moment I purchase it, it begins the process of becoming out of date. Uh, you know, if, if you go, men love to go to places like Best Buy and look at the TVs. I mean, they're bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And we're trying to think about how we can justify it or maybe how we can talk our spouse into it or whatever. But, but the greatest TV this year, next year, isn't at all the greatest TV. Um, you know, cars are built around this principle. They want you buying a new car every year, or certainly every other 
year, it's because that there's an incredible seductive force to this. Moth and rust and thieves represent the insecurity of life that is lived for accumulation. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, there are two ways uh, to have enough money. One is to acquire more of it. The other is to desire less. He says, store up yourself for yourselves treasures in heaven. He, he's not removing desire. He's redirecting it. He knows that part of our human condition is, is to have ambition, uh, treasure, or investment somewhere. But what Jesus is doing here is he's elevating our ambition beyond stuff, beyond getting up, getting a little more money. I think I've told you before, J.D. Rockefeller famously asked once, how much money does it take for a man to be satisfied? He said, oh, that's easy, just a little bit more than he has. Um, he elevates it, and he says, We're, it's good to be ambitious, it's good to be passionate, it's good to be enterprising, but it's for the well done we will hear um, from the Master, from the Lord. You know, if we substitute the word goal for treasure, I think we get at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Wherever your goal is, there your heart will be also. Things on earth, they don't last. And, and he's moving us from temporal treasures to those that are eternal, but also eternally uh, impacting morally. So what lasts? Love. Love is eternal. God is love, John tells us. Love for God, love for others. We love others by pursuing justice for them and his creation. What we really value is measured by what we spend our energies on and where we spend our energies and how much time we give to that. So Jesus, I insist again, was a realist. Let's go on, verse 22 and 23. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The inner light of God's work in our lives flows out into compassion and generosity. What he's saying is when when our eye, the eye of our heart, is focused on God's kingdom, and he's going to finish today's session uh, section with that, but 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 when it's focused on God's kingdom, it's full of light, it's full of eternity, it's full of love, it's full of what matters uh, to God, ultimate significance. And it's interesting, he says, and if your eye's full of that kind of light, it's healthy, and, and if it's not, it, it's full of darkness, it's unhealthy. In the Greek, uh, often the terms used for healthy and unhealthy, very interesting, is generous and stingy. Isn't that interesting? I want to give you a, a couple of quotes from the church fathers, of course, you know I'm going to do that each week. St. Augustine, <coughs> pardon me, pardon me, said this, 
In this passage, we ought to understand the I as the intention with which we perform our actions. If this intention is pure and upright and directing the gaze where it ought to be directed, then unfailingly all our works are good works because they are performed in accordance with that intention. That's one of the things that, that helps me sometimes. Should I do this or should I do that? In, in Impact Nations, we've got lots of choices and decisions to make. We, you and I, we have them in our personal life. But what St. Augustine is saying is very helpful. It's, it's kind of reassuring. If my heart is truly, deeply focused on the things of God, on treasures in heaven, I think we need more of a a future perspective in our lives. But if it's focused on the things of God, then unfailingly, he says, my works are going to be good works. Now, there's a there's another church father who, uh, so far, I've not quoted to you. He was called Gregory the Miracle Worker. How's that for a handle? And, uh, and he wrote this in about 240 AD. The single eye is the love unfeigned. For where the body is enlightened by it, it sets forth the outer members only things which are perfectly correspondent with the inner thoughts. In other words, our actions, our hands and feet will be coordinated with, in, in, in rhythm with what's going on on our inner thoughts. Just to unwrap that a little bit. So it sets forth from our hands and our feet only things which are perfectly correspondent with the inner thoughts, the eye. But the evil eye is the pretended love, which is also called hypocrisy. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, he's saying the light that, it, that is pure and full of love, that's real light. The other is the darkness that Jesus talks about. You know, Gregory then goes on to connect this um, uh, to Jesus' admonition to the Pharisees. Remember he said this? Um, he said, you blind Pharisees, you, first you need to clean out the inside of the cup. He was telling them that so the outside could then be clean. So Gregory goes on to say this, such are they who wash only the outside of the cup and the platter and do not understand that unless the inside of these things is cleansed, the outside itself cannot be made pure. Now, isn't there this great tendency and temptation in us toward what Jesus called hypocrisy? Remember last week I said that means play acting. We can go to church and we're in the midst of just great turmoil. Maybe we've just had a huge hassle in the car with our wife or our kids or whatever. We go into church. Oh, hi, brother. How are you? Oh, praise the Lord. I'm great. Um, or we can we can say, oh, I love you, brother, I love you, sister, which we say so easily. That's not wrong to say, but it, it can so easily be superficial because he's saying that unless the inside is cleansed, un- unless, unless what we're saying reflects the heart, it's hypocrisy. So we've had two treasures. We just had two visions good uh, light and darkness. And now he presses this even further to two masters. So let me read on from verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either uh, hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, God and mammon, 
um, God and money, all these are translated that way. You know, the early church paid a great deal of attention to this warning. They took this so seriously. Uh, Christostom said this, to have mammon as your master is already worse uh, itself than any later punishment. For what condemned criminals can be so wretched as those who once having God for their Lord do from that mild rule desert to this grievous obsession for money? Jesus' words push the listener, push you and me to decision increasingly through the Sermon on the Mount. These verses right here challenge us to a new kind of economics that is radically different from the standards and the expectations of our culture. Um, when, when we talk about mammon, it, it can mean things, money, gain, success, making it. Mammon is more than a concept. It is, I have been convinced for years, a powerful spiritual force. And it, it works with, with huge, like magnetic force to draw us into its orbit and away from serving Christ. Understand that, that mammon is, is a spirit, a reflection of, of those dark powers we've talked about, the powers that be, the, the powers that control this world, that control the economics, the politics, the social structures. Jesus wants to be us to be aware of the power of mammon. And, and, and he's telling us that as disciples, we must set our faces firmly against the gods of this culture. Because mammon is the god of this culture. You know, if we don't, then we're drawn into it. And and the Bible has a word for that in Old and New Testament. It's called idolatry. You know, we live with a level of affluence now in the Western world that would have been unimaginable in Jesus' time. Frankly, much of it would have been unimaginable 75 years ago. Did you know that in the 50s, which was when I was a kid, did you know the average house in North America was 950 square feet? The average house. What I'm saying is we live with more and more affluence, bigger, bigger, newer, better. But but you and I, we follow a Lord and a Master who who chose to be a poor man, who lived in a poor society that was that was occupied and oppressed. So how do you and I apply this, this teaching on possessions? I think about this a lot. You know, let me just open a door into my own life this week. Right now... Uh, Tim and I and the staff are working very hard uh, to help in Uganda. Uh, We used, Randeep used the word tidal wave in India a few weeks ago about COVID. Well, the tidal wave has now hit Uganda. The hospitals are closed. The president said, do not even come to a hospital. There's no beds. There's no oxygen. That uh, there's a total lockdown. People are beaten for walking on the streets. So I, I, and we're on the phone every day 
with our partners and uh, trying to figure out how to help them. So I, that's been on my mind so much. But then I look at what Christina and I have. I look at our house and our two cars and our TV and on and on and on. The kind of stuff you guys have, most of you have got. So how do I reconcile these two situations and remain following the Jesus way? We're called to follow him in our context, to live out his kingdom vision in our world. The essence of what he's saying is simplicity. This is a key word. Get this word into your heart today. If we really trust God, we live as if the treasures in heaven really matter, are really true. Another key to walking in simplicity is to recognize that materialism will always blind us to God's truth. And thirdly, any of us who think that we can love both God and money or possessions are idolaters. There's that word again. Jesus calls us to simplify our lifestyles so that we can stay focused on the kingdom. It's not a a self-flagellation. It's your vision has got to shift to the kingdom, to the eternal, to, to what is the essence of what matters. Another church father, St. Jerome's, he said this, St. Jerome, he said this, Mammon, riches are so termed in, in Syriac, he was referring to a language there, let the covetous man who is called by the Christian name hear this, that he cannot serve both Christ and riches. Yet Christ said not, he who has riches, but said, he who is the servant of riches. For he who is the slave of money guards his money as a slave. But he who has thrown off the yoke of his slavery dispenses his money as a master. The most tangible way to have treasure in heaven is our personal divestment for the sake of investing in others, especially the poor. We need to get this, because the last thing that Jesus is is trying to do, being a brilliant teacher, he knows that guilt is like the worst motivator of all. Pretty soon, early on in preaching, every pastor learns that. But rather, he's giving us another vision, another way. So I'm going to say this again. The most tangible way to have treasure in heaven is is to divest ourselves of things we have for the sake of others. This is a true barometer of whether we really are serving mammon or not. Because we all say, oh, no, no, I don't serve mammon. We all do. But this is a true barometer. This causes us to face a very hard issue. Am I serving money? So look at the barometer. Here's here's the marks on the barometer, as it were. Am I giving my money freely as God presents needs? And am I giving it generously? Am I giving it joyfully because of the, the joy of what awaits us? and the joy of moving in the rhythm 
of the kingdom and the joy of knowing that that we are enriching and helping others. Am I giving generously? Am I giving joyfully? And frankly, am I giving often? Am I giving often? Jesus here calls us to spend time focusing on what God said about our ultimate future. Simplification of our lives is our response to a vision of the kingdom of heaven. Whose reward matters? Whose affirmation matters? The culture, society, other people, or God's? Years ago, I read a book by Ron Sider. It created quite a stir. He said this, If the kingdom vision of Jesus does not reshape our approach to possessions, then we are not living out the kingdom vision. He's calling us to simplicity, not necessarily to intentional, radical uh, poverty. Some, a few are called to that. One of my heroes, Dorothy Day, was. Uh, But he's, he's calling us to... Uh, he's calling us to live freely. And he's saying as we do this, others will benefit from what we have as well as ourselves. He wasn't against wealth. He was against hoarding. Martin Luther, to quote him for the second time today, said that the test of what we have chosen, God or mammon, is not what we say but what we do. Not what we promise in words, but what we actually give in money. And this is, I know I'm emphasizing this, but we've got to get this if we're going to follow the Jesus way. And it's so true in our affluent society where where possessions have a constant, constant pull. What are they trying to do with possessions? What are the powers that be trying to do through mammon? They're trying to take our eyes off of God, off of heaven, which is our true home, our, our trying to trying to, they're trying to strip from us our true identity, our true value, from the eternal to the temporal. Temporal. Ultimately, folks. Ultimately, earthly treasures anesthetize. Numb us to what is true. The danger of possessions, of focusing on possessions, is that they so easily become idols that destroy both our faithfulness and our sense of mission. I could tell you specific stories as I have sat with wealthy, successful people And I've invited them to come to the developing world. Come to the front lines with me. Come see what we can do for entire communities, for the poor, with clean water and and food and medicine. Come see what you're really made for. And I have literally had wealthy men and women sit across the table with tears coming down. And I've said, come with me. I'm going in six weeks, or I'm going in eight weeks, or I'm going in 12. Come with me. I'm not giving you a theoretical thing. This has happened to me. And they're they're crying because they they suddenly start to see the treasures in heaven, the eternal things, and these wealthy men and women. Then they go, oh, but, but I've got a little more business I've got to do. 
I remember one guy saying, I got this, I've got this deal and I don't, I don't want to in any way jeopardize the deal, but, but maybe later, maybe later. We're back to the enemy's strategy of soon instead of today. This is absolutely real. Earthly treasures anesthetize us to what is true, which is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus gives us the antidote right here. And he always gives us the antidote, doesn't he? Remember, we last week we did the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and lead us away, divert us away from the place of temptation. He gives the antidote. Here is the antidote for this week. Continually build upon a secret life with God. Build upon that. I, I come back to that almost every week. Take time in a secret place with him, whether that's your room or your backyard or wherever, build upon this secret life with God because it is that, that interchange. We, we, we saw it so much in the Beatitudes. It's that interchange of his life for ours that begins to set us free and open our eyes. And the light is good and not dark. Secondly, contemplate his greater story, which is, after all, our eternal destiny. Sometimes when I'm, I'm, I think probably in just about every book I've, I've done, I, I use the phrase, his greater story. It's this ultimate eternal story. And thirdly, choose to live generous lives because again and again, Jesus tells us to give. Giving is what sets us free from this magnetic, dark power of mammon, possessions, money. I want to read you a sort of a lengthy quote from another church father, uh, which I have never introduced to you yet, Philozenus. He was late 5th century. He said this, It is clear that the man who cares for riches cannot care for God. But there are those who possess wealth who are justified by another measure um, of the justice worked in the world. This kind of man is not a servant who worships his riches, but a master of the things he possesses. Some men are slaves of their possessions, and some are masters of their wealth. Huh. Well, we all want that, I'm sure. And then he goes on. These few wealthy men who please God do so because they are masters of their wealth. They set forth to do everything like a slave and a subject, sometimes to feed the hungry, sometimes to clothe the naked, sometimes to redeem the captive, sometimes to free those who were in the bondage of debt. I want to finish this section by reading uh, a paragraph from uh, a document written by the, the Lausanne movement. That was a movement that was initiated in the 70s by Billy Graham. He brought together leaders uh, from uh, both the developed and the developing world together, and it has carried on. And they wrote this, and uh, it's a little bit long, but please, as much as you can, listen, pay attention. While some of us have been called to live among the poor and others to open our homes to the needy, all of us are determined to develop a simpler lifestyle. We intend to re-examine our income and expenditure. 
in order to manage on less and give away more. We lay down no rules or regulations for either ourselves or others, yet we resolve to renounce waste and oppose extravagance in personal living, clothing and housing, travel and church buildings. We also accept the distinction between necessities and luxuries, creative hobbies and empty status symbols, modesty and vanity, occasional celebrations and normal routine, and between the service of God and slavery to fashion. Where to draw the line requires conscientious thought and decision by us, together with members of our family. Those of us who belong to the West need to help, uh, need the help of our third world brothers and sisters to evaluate our standards of spending. I'm going to move on now to the second half, which he talks about worry. Starting at verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink or what your body, uh, or about your body or what you will wear. So, there's kind of an if then here. He's saying, if you choose to serve God and not mammon, to have a sound and generous eye, to store up treasures that are eternal, then you will not worry about provisions and about the things for life. This is so counterintuitive to our instincts and to our society, isn't it? The, the message all the time is save up more, have a, the best possible retirement plan. You want to make sure that you've got enough for your golden years and on and on and on. It's absolutely counterintuitive what Jesus is saying. See, at, at the root of the money issue is, is worry or anxiety. Six times in this passage, Jesus uses the word worry, which literally means an external disturbance um, of the emotional and psychic level that disturbs life. Worry is exactly the opposite uh, to practical trust in God, which is what faith is. Faith isn't, oh, I believe, I believe. It's do we practically trust him? He says, is life not more than food? A life controlled by worry about food and clothing possessions misses out on the more. He says, isn't, isn't life more? It, it, we miss out on the more, which is the abundant life he promised in John 10.10. 10. <sighs> Jesus condemns worry about tomorrow, but not planning for provision. Luther said this. Luther's getting lots of attention today. God provides food for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. I've seen people confuse trusting God with passivity. Uh, I've watched it many times as a pastor in the extreme. Once I watched a man and his family evicted from their house. Literally, they're standing there and they're evicted and their furniture was put out on the street and it was because he was convinced that God had told him not to work. <sighs> Whatever we hear from God has got to line up with what he said. Anyway, this text calls us to his greater story, to life that's, that's more than what we can see with our eyes. That's why the apostles continuously through the New Testament said, increase your vision, lift up your eyes. 
Uh, it's, the text here says, don't be concerned for yourself. We're to take our eyes off ourself. Anxiety is selfish. Anxiety is selfish. It reflects worry about things for ourselves and our own well-being. Only when we're freed from anxiety are we able to give proper attention to food and clothing for the poor. Anxiety just hinders God's great purpose for his church. So, then he gives us two marvelous illustrations from nature. Verses 26 to 30. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He's saying you're of great value. By the way, this is a passage that when anxiety has tried to come on me, especially if financial anxiety has tried to come on me, um, I go right back to this passage. Now, a few months ago, I read a, a marvelous book uh, by Alexander Schmemann, and it was called For the Life of the World. And he really pointed out what Jesus was doing with these two examples. All that exists is God's gift to man, and all that exists to make God known to man, to make man's life communion with God. God blesses everything. He creates everything he creates. This means that he makes all creation the sign and means of his presence and wisdom, love, and revelation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He goes on to say this. In the garden, man's sin was that he ceased to see his whole life depending on the whole world as a sacrament of communion to God. One of the effects of me pressing in the last few years so much into that, that secret place and pressing into the mystery of Christ day by day, I was surprised that I began to, to see God in creation and to hear him speak to me through creation. And that's what Jesus is doing as he gives us these examples he says, we can learn about the Father's care simply by observing nature. If God provides for the grass and the lilies, which are temporary, will he not provide for his kids who are destined for eternal glory? He's simply saying you can trust your father, your papa. John Christostom said this, It is clear that it is not our diligence, but the providence of God, even where we seem to be active, that finally accomplishes everything. In light of God's providence, none of our cares, anxieties, toils, or any other such thing will ever come to anything, but all will utterly pass away. You know, we at Impact Nations, continually see this in action. Again and again, we're called back to trust the Father and that he will provide everything. We just watched this happen. Uh, we watched it happen in India. 
with the with the the the, the COVID relief center. Uh, we've watched it happen in Uganda. Right now, we're watching and praying and believing for it to happen in a big way in the, in the midst of this crisis I mentioned. But but we always have to learn that. We have to learn that it's not our effort. Yes, we're diligent, but ultimately it's him, it's his sovereign goodness that gets it done. Jesus is saying through the example of the birds and the flowers that this, this world is a safe place to be. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what he's shown us is that if we serve mammon, whether we admit it or not, we've already looked at whether we can really evaluate that. If we serve mammon, our fate is anxiety, worry, self-sufficiency. But Jesus wants us to have eternal life right now. The birds work, but without worry. They seek food as they need it, and they they take what they find. Worry prevents us from living in the present. It's always focused on some threatening future. Let me just give you a couple of things about worry. Number one, worry is unworthy of those who are God's children, who are created in his image. Two, worry is profoundly unproductive. It makes no sense. Number three, worry changes nothing. Jesus is saying that our worry can't add a single moment to our lives. In fact, we know medically that anxiety shortens our lives. Worry is a waste of energy because either what we're worrying about won't happen, doesn't happen, we wasted that, it's a waste of time, or if it does happen, We've simply prolonged the pain of it happening by thinking about it for days before. Worry is simply a doubt in God's goodness and greatness. See, unlike God, we do not see the end from the beginning. We don't see everything in, in relationship to everything else. And so the events of our lives often seem very confusing, and if we allow it, frightening and distressing. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 13, Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. King James says, in a glass darkly. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me. You know, God is working powerfully, but in many ways secretly. It's like he works in darkness. It's like we can't see at night, but he can. Think about it. God's God's work in creation began with darkness. Christ's passion began the darkness of that Thursday night, Friday morning. That um, it was finished in the darkness of the tomb. That that. I love this always. It's marked in my Bible in in, uh, John 20, and it's also in Matthew's account, I think, that, that while it was still dark, they arose. God invites us to trust him when we don't understand, when things seem dark, to trust his powerful and good wisdom. He doesn't promise that we will always know what he's doing. But he calls us to know that it's him who's at work, 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure, was one of the early verses I learned. That's Philippians 2.13, by the way. He knows. He says, I know you don't see clearly. You can't see clearly. But you can only see with, with limited vision. But you can know that I am at work in you. So let's finish this. Verses 31 to 34. With all of what he's just said, he then says, Therefore, because of this, do not worry, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For it is the Gentiles, meaning just the unbelievers, who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Why did he say that about the Gentiles? Because he wants us to be a different people, to live counterculturally, to be different in, in our actions, our deeds, different in our perspective of what's going on, different in our motivation, to take different directions. The Western world, folks, does have a religion. It's called acquisition. Acquire as much as you can. Jesus says, don't believe in the world's religion. Don't believe in that religion. Don't be controlled by the demonic power of that religion. Your father already knows what you need. There's no, there's no necessity to worry. To worry is when, when we worry, it's like we're, we're behaving like we're spiritual orphans. By the way, I've told people for years, because I feel like God has to say it to me, God does not answer worry. He answers confident and intimate prayer. Last two verses. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. We're called to something higher than all the world and society and culture around us. We're called to the kingdom of the heavens. St. Hilary said this, The Lord expects all our hopes will be placed in the certainty of his promises and in the power of his might, in order that having ceased to worry about what we lack, we should look forward to receiving all things from him. We should seek the kingdom, to God, seek the kingdom of God through the service of our life. Do you hear that? We're back to the theme again of not being mastered by mammon. In the midst of a consumer society, disciples are marked by a countercultural stubbornness. Let me say that again, a stubbornness that pushes against the, the momentum of the world. So that our first priority, seek first the kingdom of God, is steady, trusting, uh, seeking of God's kingdom and his righteousness. Our quest is for something bigger, more cosmic. Eternal, something so much more than, than consumer goods, wood, hay, and stubble. For Matthew, righteousness is practicing and applying the gospel. We talked about this earlier in, in uh, chapter 5. 
And then he finishes, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Folks, we cannot pursue worry and the kingdom at the same time. He says, tomorrow will bring its own worries, but today's trouble is enough for today. Being free from worry is not the same as being free from troubles. In this life, you'll have troubles or trials, depending on translation. You know, the sparrows, they do fall to the ground, but only at the Father's consent. Remember, Jesus said nothing happens without the Father knowing. There will be trouble today, but just don't worry about tomorrow. Because troubles are distractions and challenges. I think it's by mastering these daily hassles that we learn to live as disciples, to walk the Jesus way. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. Let the peace of Christ rule in your midst. So, as I wrap this up, Jesus is steadily in the sermon. He's pushing us toward what he calls the way. His words are really serious. And if we embrace them and take them, receive them with the seriousness that he speaks them, if we follow his words, then we're not going to allow ourselves any wiggle room. It forces us to make choices. Jesus is forcing us to make choices that are ultimately about exchanging our desires, our values, our priorities, what last week I I called the ego self, exchanging those for his values. And that's what Jesus meant when he said again and again, he who seeks to save his life, his ego self, his values, priorities, will lose it. But he who loses that ego self He'll find it. He'll find the life I always meant. The prize is the life that he has for us. The pearl of greatest price. I've been thinking about that this week. The kingdom is where he is and will be forever. And at the same time, that kingdom is in our midst. This is the treasure in the field. But we cannot have both God and mammon. We must choose. Serious words for a serious time, but the promise is, if we lose our old life, we will find it. God bless you. I'm going to meet with Tim in just a moment to discuss some of what I shared today. Now what? The gospel is meant to be lived. We now invite you to be a part of the discussion as we talk about how to apply this teaching. YouTube viewers can use the comments section below. You can also email your questions and comments to podcast at impactnations.com. Well, (laughs) this is some hard-hitting stuff, this Sermon on the Mount. It is. Um, I was observing some comments on Facebook. By the way, welcome, Facebook. Uh, good to have you. Yeah, hi, hi well. Facebook. <laughs> some comments on Facebook just uh, just thanking you for, for addressing this difficult stuff, these difficult topics. Um, 
I've got I got some questions, some things to to dig into, but before I get into questions, I, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about what's going on in Uganda. Yeah, that'd be good. Because um, I referenced it. You did, okay. yeah. Yeah, I heard that. And, uh, you know, we... Um, oh, we're okay? Okay, sorry. Isaiah's playing with the camera. It had me distracted, which is bad form. Uh, <laughs> last week, we were here celebrating what we had just learned was happening in India. Yeah, it was wonderful. And uh, just being perfectly transparent, you know, we were we were dancing a jig for a couple of days here just because God was so good, and we um, we just saw Him move in incredible ways and unexpected ways. There's in a India. clinic that is is serving so many COVID yeah. people; uh, they just keep coming and coming. Indeed, uh, and we couldn't have anticipated how quickly that was going to happen. Yeah. The response from the community was incredible. And then we got here on Monday morning and we started receiving the news. And really over the weekend, we were getting the news of what was going on in Uganda. And I'll, I'll admit, you know, I, by, by mid morning Monday, I was just, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Like we can't, <laughs> we didn't even have time to really, Celebrate India. I was surprised how how often, from when we first heard on the weekend yeah. through even today, I've teared up. Yeah, I, it's I, it's that's been my experience too. It can't be overwhelming. We don't have that as an no, option. no. We don't have that as an option. So uh, let me just kind of say the facts that we know. Uh, COVID has reached an all time high in Uganda. Uh, the numbers are extraordinary. Case numbers, uh, Isaiah, maybe you remember, I think the last we saw was just shy of 70,000 uh, active cases of COVID. But that number is just, it's, it's artificial. not. Yeah, it's the tip of the iceberg. Because the problem is in Uganda, you're paying just about $60 US dollars for a COVID test. Where most of them make about $2 a day. Indeed, yeah. So, so months' wages a to month's get a worth test. of wages to get a test. So you tell me, if you're sick and you know, by the way, you're going to need some medical care, are you really going to spend... And the president has said, if you're sick, stay home. Indeed. The hospitals are Yeah, yeah they're, they're out of oxygen. Yeah. That sound familiar? Uh, so this has caused lockdowns. Uh, we know impact nations family. We know we did this last year, uh, with lockdowns around the world and the developing world. What that means is very, very, very quickly. People go hungry. Uh, when you work, uh, for the most part in Uganda, when you, when you work today, at the end of the day, you take your wages from today and you go and you buy tomorrow's food. Um, give us Today, tomorrow's bread. Indeed, yeah, talked you, about you talked about week. it just last week. Uh, if there's no work because the economy's been shut down, the entire nation has been shut down, that means by tomorrow you're hungry. Uh, so there is a, a major food crisis. We also have a crisis of violence. Uh, the restrictions on this lockdown are such that uh, people can't be driving their private vehicles. Uh, right now what's allowed is... Uh, a transport truck with a driver and one additional worker in the transport truck or a boda boda, which is a motorcycle that has only the driver and no passengers on it. Uh, private vehicles, not allowed. Uh, so people can't so go to the store. They can't go to the store. <clears throat> so uh, the there are armed officers in the streets beating those who are just so desperate that they go out trying to find something. Um 
the level of desperation is such that people are feeling violent. We actually, our, uh, our partner Trinity, we just learned uh, yesterday morning that uh, somebody had broken into overnight, somebody had broken into their facility uh, where he does the, the computer training for students from the slums. They'd stolen four computers. They had beat up his guard to the point that he's been hospitalized. Yep. Uh, again, and I asked him, like, what is the deal? I thought you had a secure facility. He said, we do have a secure facility. They hit a number of facilities uh, uh, all in a row on our street. And they, he said, it's just the desperation. People are so hungry. They don't know what to do. They're angry. They're hopeless. He says that the situation is spiraling out of control. They climbed over the, the jagged glass yeah. that's embedded in the top of the wall. Yeah. So, uh, I don't, I don't want to be too big of a downer here, but this is the reality that our, our friends, friends and partners are facing. Um, Richard, our partner, uh, who serves in Kalonga, he's already had COVID. He was very sick, recovered just a couple of weeks ago. I know Annabelle is unwell right now. Uh, we're, I think, awaiting a test on whether or not she might have COVID as well. Uh, many of the girls that she cares for, her team cares for, have had COVID, um, it's just a scary situation. We've got, we've got, we're discovering how widespread the hunger is in Kalonga. Indeed. The community that we started serving in 2013. Yeah. So here's, here's a few things we're doing about this. Now, we're just going to kind of blend a little bit of what we're talking about here and what you've talked about. Because I, something you said was, I thought, really appropriate, which was, you know, God doesn't answer worry. He answers faithful prayer, but also uh, he answers faithful action. Like you have to begin to actually act and then watch the Lord step in and act on your behalf as you step forward in faith. Um, You talked about the guy who thought he'd heard from the Lord that he wasn't supposed to work anymore, which is goofy. Uh, it, uh, It was tempting, I'll be honest, on Monday morning to just feel so overwhelmed and say, well, we've spent all the money. Uh, the, all of our feeding funds have gone. Uh, there's nothing left. We've just spent all this time raising money for India. Uh, we just finished raising money for the pregnant girls in Uganda. Now what do we do? Uh, and we felt very strongly that we must just take action and just see what the Lord will do. Because again, again and again and again in, in Impact Nation's history, we have seen God fulfill his promises and just show up strong in ways that shocked us and amazed us. As Chris Tostum said today, it's it's not our efforts, it's not our talent, it's it's God's care for us. Indeed. Uh, so here's a couple things we're doing. Uh, we in, uh, in Uganda, in Kalonga, in that community, we are working right now to secure enough food for 10,000 meals. We are going to uh, there was a kitchen that was built. Actually, some some of our amazing donors in Australia uh, a couple of years back, uh, they built a kitchen for our school in Kalonga at Hope and Care School. Uh, that kitchen is going to become a feeding center uh, for the next month. So we're working on the details trying to secure the food right now. But uh, we're going to start feeding 300 meals twice a day out of that space. Uh, and I don't know how many people are going to come. I know they're very, very hungry, and the desperation will continue to grow. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. It's a starting point. It is a starting point. Because and we know that Kalonga has got several thousand people, but indeed. but we don't know. Are they able, some of them, to live off the land? We just don't know. We don't know. But I'll, I'll tell you this. 
this is a, this is one of those examples where I feel like we're creating space for God to do a miracle. We're stepping out in faith, saying, "Okay, Lord, we're going to do what we can. We'll we'll bring what we've got, and let's see what you do." Uh, and I have no idea what that's going to look like. So often, by the way, we. <laughs> uh, we anticipate that God will provide, but sometimes we have it in our mind, like we put him in a box of, I know exactly how he'll provide because this is how he did it last time or whatever. I don't know what he's going to do this time. Yeah. Uh, you know, what happened in India last week really surprised us. Uh, and so who knows what's going to happen in Uganda, but we're stepping forward in faith. Uh, so this is kind of a weird advertisement. But anyway, if if God's putting Uganda on your heart, two things. Please pray. Uh, nothing shy of... God's miraculous intervention is going to rescue this nation right now. Um, so please join us in prayer. Uh, I've mentioned here before, I think, but uh, we've got a team of intercessors from around the world that meet on Tuesdays on Zoom to pray together. Um, and if that's something that you'd like to join us, if you're a part of the Impact Nations family, if you call this your family and you'd like to join your family in prayer, maybe you didn't know about that, you can just email us at podcast.impactnations.com uh, and we'll tell you a little bit more about how you can get involved in that. That's Tuesday mornings, oh, sorry, Tuesday afternoons, uh, in Mountain Daylight Time. Second thing, uh, you can give. Uh, if if this is stirring your heart and you want to, to be... Uh, Part of God's answer to this need, uh, impactnations.com slash feeding. That's our COVID feeding program. It's been going on for over a year. You guys know that. Uh, we've fed, uh, we've provided over two and a quarter million meals since COVID began. Uh, 100% of the donations into that fund just go directly to the food. Uh, and they go quickly too, by the way. Uh, so that's one of the things. Like when you give, it's going to be food on somebody's table within a few days. I promise you that. Uh, so impactnations.com slash feeding. Uh, that's what's going on in Uganda right now. So, sorry, that took a little longer than I anticipated, but I think it, it, I think stuff. it fits right into what you've been teaching today, too. Um, hey, let me ask you this question. As a, as a dad, I want to see my kids um, learn generosity. How can we as parents raise up a generation of, mm. of kids that do not worship the idol of stuff, of acquisition, as you called it? Uh, but rather are are living a, a life of simplicity for Jesus? That's a great question. I, I, first of all, I, I think every every parent needs to just go to the Lord on, on how yeah. this applies. Um, in our very imperfect way, we, as we uh, raised you four boys, men, we would try to stay really open with our situation. Mm-hmm. If it was a really tight time, guys, it's a tight time. We need to pray or there's an opportunity. Secondly, uh, we very intentionally, um, probably a couple of times a month or more, took you out to the poor mm. to give food. Um, Christmas, every Christmas, we would put together all those packages and stockings and you guys because yeah. – you didn't know this, but Tim and his three brothers are great singers. So we would go to flop houses and four part harmony, and then give out the stuff. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, I've I've had your kids with me making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the homeless here in in Albuquerque. Yeah. Um, I think that, and I think that it's very good for them to know uh, about generosity. You know, there was a time the Lord told me to do a, a scary, scary thing. 
in terms of generosity. In, yeah. a, in a single moment, I want you to do this. And I did it. And uh, it meant we were going to live awfully tightly for yeah. a month or two. But we called you guys together. Actually, mother called you together and said, this is what God said for dad to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's going to be a little tight, but but it's going to get Bibles to people in Russia. And I had no idea that that in the spirit mm. that would open the door. Yeah. And who who could know that six months later, I'd go in there with the team the very week the Soviet Union dissolved. Yeah. I know those things were connected and we didn't keep them away from you we kept you informed. Mm-hmm. There's a long answer. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. Um, as you as you talked about worry, something occurred to me. You know, you said sometimes God isn't going to answer our prayers in the time that that we expect, uh, and He's looking at the long game, which means really ridding ourselves of worry is going to require us exercising patience. It's going to require us learning the gift of patience is are there some practical things we can do how do we how do we exercise that muscle of patience waiting for the lord okay uh, to, to i'm gonna i'm gonna go back where we always go back mm-hmm. um the third beatitude blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the land mm-hmm. that word meek means several things including patient and we go back it's time with jesus that to our amazement, patience starts to rise up. Yeah. And uh, and that is patience is there the source and trust. I, I ran out of time. I was going to give some particulars of, 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 you know, just in terms of our prayer, in terms of scriptures, uh, largely around trust. Um, around the fruit of the Spirit. I think I'm going to talk a little about that in the next week or two. But Mm. um, it all comes from the source of Jesus because, after all, this whole sermon is about learning to follow him, learning the Jesus way. Yeah. We had a a question from a listener uh, that was a a good one, which was why? Why on on generosity? Why does why does Jesus call us to generosity? Is it because he's looking for us to be uh, his means for caring for the poor? I mean, clearly you read scripture, you cannot help but bump into a a verse calling for justice for the poor, provision for the poor, yes. over and over again. Or is he working on our hearts? The answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> but. But let me say more than working on our hearts. He's teaching us in the midst of learning to trust him and faith. He's he's teaching us the way the cosmos works. Because yeah. it doesn't work like we think it does, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the powers that be. It's, it's counterfeit. He's teaching us, I'll go back to that phrase, to move in the rhythm of the kingdom. Yeah. And uh, and we learn that step by step. And, and so generosity is is a a fruit but it isn't it isn't the 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 bedrock the bedrock is learning to move in rhythm with him and and that means we learn things like forgiveness mm-hmm. and generosity because that's the way the cosmos moves it that's the direction it goes yeah. and you know I said a couple of weeks ago when we were teaching on uh 
the Lord's Prayer. I said, and if you don't forgive, he won't forgive. I said, it's not a spiteful father. It's it's rather this movement that God moves in the direction of forgiveness, grace, mercy, and I would say generosity. Mm. So if we move with him, we're in the grace of God. If we say, no, I want to go over here, he doesn't punish us, but it's not where he's working. Yeah. Just got out of the zone. Yeah. Well, we better stop there. I uh, congrats, by the way, on introducing two new church fathers today, both of whom had really cool names. We had Gregory the Miracle Worker. Yeah, and Philozerses. Man, I want to see those business cards. And by the way, like a lot of pressure on that name, Gregory the Miracle Worker. Like imagine <laughs> yeah. showing up to a party, hey, this is Gregory the Miracle Worker. And, oh, here we go again. <laughs> hey, do another one, Gregory. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Facebook and YouTube. I think that worked pretty well, Isaiah. Yeah. So we'll do that again. Uh, we'll, you can now join us on either YouTube or on Facebook every, uh, what day is this? Thursday at 3 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time. Uh, it is available after the fact. Uh, we've got it all cataloged on YouTube. Uh, so you can see the entire, the entire series of, of Matthew. Uh, if you're catching this for the first time today, you can also download the audio if, uh, if you want to just listen to this on your commute or whatever, you can head to impactnations.com slash podcast, subscribe on any of the buttons up at the top there for your favorite podcast app, uh, and you'll get that delivered every week to your device. If you are on YouTube, uh, hit subscribe, hit the little bell so you get a notification uh, when we go live uh, so you don't miss an episode. And uh, if you're on Facebook, hit share. Yeah, hit share. By the way, that's a, that's a huge thing for us. Just tell your yeah. friends. Uh, and that goes, by the way, this goes for everything. Like, uh, you know, we work hard here at Impact Nations to, to engage in marketing, to get the word out on what God's doing uh, around the world through Impact Nations. But honestly, nothing beats the Impact Nations family telling their family and friends, hey, did you hear about what God's doing in India? Did you hear about the need in Uganda? Uh, have you seen this teaching? It'll really challenge you, things like that. Anytime you have an opportunity to share uh, Impact Nations material, it's a huge blessing and help for us, uh, and it's just going to help us grow more and more. Yeah. And, I, I, hey, if, if you're part of this family, there's a reason for that. Why don't you, and why don't, you call don't more forget, tell, they can tell their friends about Gregory the Miracle Gregory Worker. Gregory the Miracle Worker. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week. Great to be with you, folks.